0: Canadian Military History Podcast. Music provided by the 48th Highlanders of Canada. Welcome back to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Lacroix. Now, I say welcome back, but that only applies if you're listening to the episodes as they come out. If you've just discovered the podcast, then for you, there would have been no break, but you're welcome nonetheless. I just took a short break in December 2013 to recharge my batteries, line up some guests for you, and I was very productive, and I did get some recordings done. What happened was when I launched. I launched with just one episode in the bank. From there, it was right to the wire for each episode. Right now, I have four recordings done, so it's just a matter of recording a guest while I do editing on another episode, while I upload another episode. So this small bit of padding is really going to take the stress off, and it's going to help me produce a better quality episode for you to listen to. Here's a small bit of technical help for some people. I was told that people had gone to iTunes, and they couldn't find some of the episodes. So here's what you do. When you go into iTunes, you'll see a list of 10 episodes and you can't scroll any further back. What you got to do, you got to hit the subscribe button and then allow the subscription to load into your iPhone, iPad or whatever you have. Now, I hope you already know you need the podcasting app first. And typically, if you're listening to the episode, you've already got the podcasting app. Then when you see the text that says add old episodes, that's when you can access the list and you'll have access to the entire catalog of episodes. Now, I don't know how this works for other devices, but if you use your RSS feed app, I would guess that it would work just about the same. Speaking about iTunes, I do have a new rating, a new review that I got five stars from somebody called Me in Canada. This was posted on December 17th, 2013. It says, I've been listening to the podcast in the car. It is a well done format with very interesting guests. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much, me in Canada. That's great. It's good to have some feedback. Here's another iTunes victory, a small victory. I managed to get the title of my podcast to actually display on the podcast. That might have caused a bit of confusion for some subscribers, but nevertheless, my logo has the name of the podcast, which kind of saved me, but I couldn't get the name of the podcast to appear on the screen. So finally... Plugging away at it, over the month of December, I managed to get the actual title to display. That's great. Another thing, I'm going to be closing down the Facebook group today. Everything's going to be transferred over to the Facebook page. That's where things are going to be maintained from now on. The Facebook page allows me to monitor a few more things than are available on the Facebook group. And you don't have to actually ask permission to join the page. You just simply click like and you're in. You get your updates on a regular basis. There's no waiting to join, and it's a much more effective means for me to communicate. Speaking about communicating, feedback is always welcome. I appreciate hearing from the listeners. I understand that you're driving or you're doing something else, but when you get home, when you get back to wherever you're headed, when you get off the treadmill or whatever, just send me some feedback. You can reach me at Mike LaCroix, CMHP at gmail.com. Yesterday, I released a quick promo. This was prompted by the Two True Freaks, who asked to run my promo on their show, so that's great. Get a little bit of a boost, I'll get some exposure, and hopefully I'll get some more listeners. That's always a good thing. The Two True Freaks can be found at twotruefreaks.com, and they are Chris Honeywell and Scott Gardner. And, of course, if you say Scott Gardner's name on your podcast, that means he has to listen to your podcast. They also have extra hosts such as the Irredeemable Shag and Michael Bailey. So if you're interested in movies, movie reviews, comic books, Star Wars, Star Trek, Disney, all that kind of stuff, please check out their website. Please check out their shows at 2 and they're available on iTunes. Creating the promo got me thinking. What I want to do when I wrap up in June, because I will take another break June till September, kind of follow the good old training calendar here. So I'll take a break from June to September. But in June, what I would like to do is produce a best of. So if there's something that you heard that you think is the best, like maybe the most shocking revelation, or maybe something that made you laugh the most, I don't have categories. If you want to make up your own category, just send in your comment, your observation, and make up a little category for whatever you're suggesting. And then when I see a similar trend, I'll be able to group them together and run a little bit of a best of episode just to wrap up in june before i take my summer break as always don't forget there is a donate button if you want to help sponsor the podcast any donations are greatly appreciated any donation great or small you just click on the donate button and your funds go directly into supporting the production of great episodes there's also the amazon link if you plan to buy on amazon.ca just click on my amazon link first and you shop as normal nothing changes for you except for the show gets a tiny portion of your purchase price just to help support the show and help keep the lights on kind of thing today's guest is brigadier general fred lewis msm cd general lewis is a graduate of the royal military college and he joined the canadian forces in 1976. he served his whole career as a member of the canadian military engineers working in regiments such as four combat engineer regiment in large germany and one combat engineer regiment in Chilliwack, which he commanded. He served with the United Nations in the Golan Heights and southern Lebanon. He also worked as a squadron commander in the former Yugoslavia. He was also the Canadian contingent commander to the Cambodia Mine Action Centre. He served as the deputy commander to Canada's Joint Task Force in Afghanistan. His most recent operational tour was the commander of Task Force Jerusalem on Operation Proteus. Not only is he a paratrooper, but he's also a combat diver. If you put all that together, he can operate on the land, sea, and air. Hmm, where have I heard that before? Anyhow, General Lewis's command style follows the theory of mission command. In other words, he provides you the time, the resources, and the mission to get your job done, and expects results at the end. Personally, I always found his leadership style to be that of, you want to get the job done because you don't want to disappoint him. He has that leadership style that you just don't want to let him down. You always want to make sure that your work was quality so that you didn't have to be the person that let him down. Now, that being said, I didn't work directly with him, and maybe some people have some different experiences, but that was just the experience that I had while he was the commander of Land Force Central Area, which is now renamed as the 4th Canadian Division. Another thing that I always remarked about General Lewis was that he's always focused on family. I mean, that's not really what I want to say. He's focused on the mission. He's focused on what the task is. But he's always understood the value and the importance of family in your military career and in your military life and that'll become apparent during the interview you'll see that he brings up family on numerous occasions and the well-being of families and the importance of families and i think that's been driven from his experiences so without any further lead up here's my interview with brigadier general fred lewis brigadier general lewis welcome to the podcast Well, thanks very much, Mike. It's retired Brigadier General Lewis now. (laughs) You're absolutely right, sir. Sir, you and I met when you were visiting 32 Canadian Brigade Group headquarters in 2010, and you remarked at the fictional 2011 Pontiac Trans Am displayed on my computer monitor background, and also you remarked on my pending deployment to Sierra Leone at the time.
1: Yeah, Mike, it's interesting what grabs your attention when you're sort of a senior officer and you're doing an inspection or a visit or something like that. And one of the things that always gets me going is cars. I'm a car guy. And the fact that Pontiac had gone under, but somebody had reworked the modern-day Camaro into what would have been a modern-day Trans Am, certainly attracted me. And once we had established that and then started to talk about your pending tour, it was a good connection for
0: sure. Sir, have you had a chance to review the questions? Yeah,
1: I had a look at them, yeah.
0: Excellent. So are you all set? Absolutely. All right, let's start off with the first question, with why did you join the Canadian Armed Forces?
1: Well, Mike, I think it was a combination of reasons. First off, my dad was in the military. As a kid growing up, I watched what he did, the lifestyle he had, and I thought, this is okay, this is something that I think I could do. I think maybe the second reason was family life. I mean, I think often now, and it's probably wrong, but often, I think modern-day military families think of it as a tough go, and certainly the absences and the like are tough. But as a kid, I watched our military family. My dad did deployments and the like, but but I think we are a resilient family, and I liked the way that family was, and I thought in the future, that's what I'd like my family to be, and certainly that's what's happened. And then maybe finally, maybe the third reason was I was a cadet as a young kid, and cadets for me were good in the sense that I did some very exciting things young in life and one of them was I spent a summer in Banff at the Banff National Army Cadet Camp which basically was an outward bound course and that was a tremendous challenge and a lot of fun and then the summer after that I, I was one of the few cadets that was chosen to go and do the parachute course, the Canadian Forces Parachute Course and get my wings and so that was a taste of military life and again it just confirmed that this was probably something I'd want to do. So that's why I joined the
0: CF. Now which unit did your father serve in? Was he an engineer like you?
1: No, my father, my father had joined the military uh, during the Second World War and he had initially started as a, I think it was called a telegraphist air gunner. So the guy that ran the radio and manned the, uh, the machine gun on a swordfish torpedo bomber and this was a biplane during the Second World War. <laughs> and before he actually was completely trained, they withdrew the swordfish torpedo bomber from service, of course he was in the Royal Navy. They said, what else do you want to do in the Royal Navy? And one of the options was Royal Marines. And so my dad chose Royal Marines and specifically Royal Marine commandos. And so my father had been in the Second World War as that, didn't deploy to the continent, but had trained at that. And then post-Second World War, he decided that he was going to look further afield than Great Britain. I guess post-war in England was a bit rough and decided to come to Canada tried a number of jobs in Toronto, and then uh, ended up in Flinflon, Manitoba, mining silver. At the time, Flinflon had a reserve unit, and he joined that as a senior NCO. And it wasn't long after that that uh, he was offered a regular force commission. He was 27 or 28 years old at the time, and his commission was offered in the infantry, and he thought, no, I'm a little bit too old for that, and uh, he went uh, Royal Canadian Army Service Corps in the end.
0: All that before age 27, amazing.
1: Yeah, an interesting life.
0: So what was the world like when you joined, sir?
1: Well, so I joined in 1976, and I think back on that time, and I think for sure the United States was recovering post-Vietnam. So Vietnam had ended in, for them, 73, and then the war completely ended in 75. I think as a nation they were trying to heal, and erase that because for sure their military was having a tough time during the 70s. And I think that influenced a lot of things. It influenced, for example, the Canadian military. And of course, the Cold War was going on. I'm not sure what the height of the Cold War was, but certainly it was, uh, it was in full swing uh, in the mid-'70s. And I guess I talk about that because nowadays it's so common to see that yellow ribbon, uh, the, the support the troops yellow ribbon in one form or another. And when I joined the Canadian forces, that did not exist we existed but there wasn't that overt support for the canadian military in any way shape or form quite different from today
0: you're absolutely right sir i started in the late 80s and it was essentially the same thing we were we were there but we weren't there yeah exactly you've already touched on your cadet experience and getting your jump wings what were you like when you joined
1: in many ways, I think I was a typical kid of the early 70s. I long hair. I was into a lot of team sports. I was, by the time I was 15 or 16, I was pretty serious into cars and had a lot of other hobbies, hunt, fish, that sort of thing. And I, uh, surprisingly enough, did well at school. So that was me, probably, at, at that time.
0: Moving on to throughout your career, what's your most memorable experience in the Canadian Armed Forces or your greatest achievement?
1: Yeah, I think greatest achievement, a husband of uh, 27 years. My wife Sharon has put up with me for 27 years. In conjunction with that, a father who has two successful kids, both uh, Rebecca and Victoria, have not been a problem in any way, shape, or form, successfully going through university and on to jobs and, and that sort of thing. So that would be for sure my greatest success. From a military perspective, I like to think that any success I had was through my subordinates and I've always been a great believer in mission command and I think I was a believer in mission command before I understood what it was and even as a sort of brand new lieutenant through my career it's been the success of my subordinates giving them a mission, a workable plan and the resources necessary to do it and letting them go off and have success whether that was as a troop commander or a squadron commander, or a commanding officer of a regiment, or as a staff officer, it always seemed to be it. I I was kind of living my success through their successes. I think that's a good way.
0: So I know, sir, you served in the Cold War Germany, and you also served in Afghanistan and many other places. Out of all that, do you have a memorable experience that jumps out or stands out in your mind? You know, Mike,
1: the whole thing was a roller coaster ride, and it was all great. I can't think of a posting that wasn't great. I certainly never chose my postings on which one was the best one to move forward up the ladder kind of idea. It was always kind of chasing uh, that operational experience, chasing being with soldiers. But even the staff tours were good tours. So it, it would be hard to put my finger on anything in specific. If you caused me to say what was the absolute best, It probably was Afghanistan in the sense that, for me, the vast majority of my career was already done. I was a full colonel by that time. Even though I'd done a whole bunch of operational tours and being in war, I can't say that I was ever in a war where the bad guys were out to get me. You were just associated with that war, whether it was in peace operations or whatever. Whereas Afghanistan, there was no doubt the enemy thought of you as the enemy and you went and you did the business. Canadians did the business that we'd been trained to do. I did Roto too. so starting from the summer of 2006, and that was very close to the beginning of our experience in the South and something that was called Operation Medusa. And the things that occurred during that operation were just one thing after another of this is what we were trained to do, and now we're actually having to experience this Things like having to put restrictions on the number of rounds that the artillery fired. I mean, ever we were trained to do that, but who would have ever thought that we would have been involved in operations that did that? Battle casualty replacements, the sad reality that when we had casualties, that we wanted those replacements there right away. It, it wasn't like on peace operations where, say, in Bosnia or something like that, where you expected that casualty to be replaced in 21 days. No, you wanted that troop warrant officer to be there the next morning because you needed that person to do that job. If I had to say anything, I guess it would be Afghanistan, but there were so many other great experiences.
0: So in your time, who was your greatest influence or the most memorable character you've encountered?
1: Certainly my mom had a great impact on my values and the like, but certainly the most memorable person would for sure be my father. He was a guy who was just bigger than life. I think he, because he had come from the ranks, and gone up that way, he had, I think there was a tremendous respect that his subordinates had for him. Like I said, bigger than life, he was this guy that was six foot three, three inches taller than me and 230 pounds or something like that. And he was called Big Ed. He was just the kind of guy as as a young fellow that I looked up to. And whether that was in his soldiering or whether it was the way he was a father, he was a tremendous impact on me for sure.
0: We're up to the final question, sir. What was the greatest challenge you had to overcome?
1: Yeah, it takes me right back to essentially my first posting to a unit, and this was in uh, 1981, and it was Germany for Combat Engineer Regiment. I'd just come out of the Royal Military College, a keen whippersnapper guy who really, for the four years at RMC, was just waiting to get out and soldier, and that RMC was just a necessary obstacle to overcome. And when I got to Germany, it was a bit of a surprise. The young soldiers there were just not as keen as I expected them to be. It was a time when, heaven forbid, anybody wear a helmet or campaign or roll their sleeves down or, heck, maybe even clean their rifle every couple of days while you're on exercise. Uh, you know, I kind of came into that. The senior NCOs who I had experienced through the Royal Military College in my training out in Chilliwack at the Engineer School, who had always been superb, not all of them but many of them in Fort Combat Engineer Regiment at the time, although technical experts, really lacked sort of a tactical acumen. And maybe it was just bad luck, but they were not the types of leaders that led by example at all. In terms of the officers at the time, Canadian military engineers very much were split between sort of the guys that went combat engineer and the guys that went CE or construction engineering on the bases. I shouldn't say split. I mean, it it was actually the opposite. It was that the branch expected the officer to do both, yet the emphasis in terms of the amount of time that a person was posted to a combat engineer organization was minimal. So the officers, for the most part in that regiment, certainly the ones that were senior to me, had spent more time in construction engineering than they did in combat engineering. So the officers weren't what I expected either. And then you threw on top of that the situation that 4CMBG or 4Brigade faced in those days. And it was undermanned and ill-equipped. It was a brigade that was just over 3,000 soldiers instead of what we would expect to be five or 6,000 soldiers. And it was using equipment that, quite frankly, just wouldn't have done the job. And we were in an operational environment. We were in an environment that we practiced, all, you know, we were called out and these things called snowballs in the middle of the night, and we were expected to go up to the Inner german border and stop the Soviet Union. And quite frankly, I mean, 4th Brigade would have uh, done its business, but they would have put up a monument to us afterwards, and that would have been it. So all those things, Mike, combined to have a real shocking effect on me as a young officer. Quite frankly, this was in the days before... the media that we have now, it was a case of writing letters. Right write a letter to my dad, and I'd, I'd tell him this scenario that I'd walked into. And uh, and uh, my plan really was to uh, to reach for the ejection handles and uh, kind of follow what my dad had done. And, and the plan was really to go to the British forces, join the Royal Marines, and sort of escape this scenario. And my dad, I have to really respect him for it. He said, son, if you don't like what's there, change it. And you're going, look, I'm just kind of trying to learn my job because I'm not at it yet. And, And here I got the old man telling me, if you don't like it, change it. And so I didn't jump ship. And I did stay in my way going through. I commanded a series of three troops in that posting, regimental headquarters troop, then support troop, and then a field troop. And each and every one of those little organizations tried to make them better, to see the soldiers soldier better, to see the senior NCOs lead better, set the example, and and be an officer who knew his stuff in terms of what he was expected to do in that environment. And by the time I commanded my field troop, I can tell you that maybe it was just luck, but my senior NCOs were good. My master corporals were absolutely superb. And and most of the master corporals I had as section two ICs in my troop went on to be chief warrant officers in the Canadian Forces, guys like Rocky Lacroix, who, of course, was the Canadian Forces Chief Warrant Officer, Ford, who went on to be the Chief Warrant Officer for the Army, and many, many others. And we became a, I, I like to think, we became a, a little island of nine armored personnel carriers that were moving around the battlefield with our helmets on and scrimming our helmets and green paint on our faces and sleeves rolled down and we cycled through battle procedure professionally and, and we did our jobs, not only technically but tactically. and. Uh, You know, at the end of that three and a half year posting, I felt pretty good about the way that challenge had been dealt with on the encouragement of my father.
0: I think sometimes it's difficult for someone to be the person who has to say it out loud and take that moral courage to be kind of the bad guy. But you're not really doing the bad thing. You're being the bad guy by saying, cam up, put your helmet on, do this, do that. And most of the people are just waiting for someone to do that. And everyone will just step into line and everyone will mirror what that leader is saying. And in the end, it's you're not really a bad guy. No one's doing anything wrong. They're just waiting for someone to say it out loud, and maybe that's what was lacking, and maybe you were that person.
1: Well, and I think uh, I think you're right, Mike. You can't be a tyrant if you're going to be a guy who believes in mission command, right? Absolutely. And, and I think you're right. I think that there were a lot of people around. I mean, we, we had some bad apples, for sure. Not necessarily in my troop, but we had some bad apples in the regiment that I think got dealt with. And, and you're right. I, I think the soldiers just wanted the soldier. The senior NCOs wanted to do it right. And certainly as a junior officer, I wanted to learn like crazy. Yeah, it, it was a positive experience. In fact, every now and then you uh, you come across these guys that you served with way back when. I've got, you know, we live in a little town of Westport, 700 souls. Not a couple of kilometers really away from our house. One of the young fellows that, uh, who's not so young anymore, was young sapper in, in my troop. He just remembers that time unbelievably positively, as I do. And there's a couple other guys that you just see, you came across a young, I would say not a young guy anymore, but a guy that was in my troop and then serving in the Rangers with the Canadian Rangers. And again, it was super memories of having a lot of fun, but doing it right.
0: So this comes to the end of the four questions. Is there anything you'd like to say or anything you'd like to reflect on that wasn't covered by the questions?
1: Well, I guess my 36 years with the Canadian Forces, the Canadian Army, it was a great career in the sense that I had a lot of fun, lived so many successes through my subordinate. And now I look at the Canadian forces, I look at the Army, sort of as we're pulling out of Afghanistan, really, I guess we're in the last couple of months in Afghanistan right now, an unbelievably professional organization. That I think in the early days of Afghanistan, I think some of the old Cold War warriors thought that the Army had kind of veered off track, maybe through the uh, the decade of our peace operations, uh, specifically, I think, the 90s. I think the Canadian Army, the Canadian Forces, was indicated in spades in Afghanistan that it's one heck of a professional organization with people in it that really are
0: absolutely second to none. I agree with you, sir. Thanks for coming and taking the time to do the podcast. I really appreciate you setting the time aside. I look forward to seeing you again, hopefully, at some other gathering or or some other opportunity.
1: Well, thanks for making contact, Mike. That was enjoyable.
0: Take care. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Military History Podcast. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did enjoy the podcast, please leave some feedback on iTunes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send me an email at MikeLacroixCMHP at gmail.com. Please let me know if you'd like me to read your comments on the air. While you're waiting for our next episode, please visit the website at www.CanadianMilitaryHistoryPodcast.ca or the CMHP Facebook page. If you'd like to support the podcast by making a donation, please click the PayPal link on the webpage. The next time you're considering buying something from Amazon.ca, please visit the Canadian military history podcast website and click on my Amazon link. A small portion of your purchase goes directly towards the support and maintenance of the podcast. However, your great price from Amazon doesn't change. All donations will go directly into the production of the podcast. All music is used with the express permission of the commanding officer. Ntag tag music is provided by the Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry. Views and opinions are those of the guests of the Canadian Military History Podcast and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Mike Lacroix Productions, the Government of Canada, or the Department of National Defence. This is a Mike Lacroix Production.